Our scripture reading this afternoon is from 1 Peter chapter 1. It can be found on page 9 of the bulletin and will be projected above. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Marcy. Okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids Bulletin uh, that is in that bag. You can find that now. And there is a spot on there for you to jot down a few things. Um, so here's what I want you to listen for. Uh, one is a, uh, an illustration about a children's sermon. Secondly, uh, I want you to hear uh, or listen for something about the word therefore, okay? And then finally, uh, a prison cell. So children's sermon, therefore, and a prison cell. So uh, with that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we come to this passage together. Father, we ask now <clears throat> that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we are, are grateful for the gift of your word. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to open it together. And we are most grateful uh, that you have promised to accomplish what you desire when your word is proclaimed among your people. And so we ask that you do that today. We pray that we would see Jesus, that we would believe in him, that we would find our rest in him, that he would become more beautiful to us. And we pray this all in his name and for his glory. Amen. I didn't uh, grow up in the church, uh, but we did occasionally go to a church, and when we did, it was this one uh, right by our house, and um, uh, there was one time we went, I was about seven years old, and uh, this church did what a lot of churches do, which is to have a children's sermon before the adults go. And so the way this would work is that, uh, that the pastor would invite all the children forward, and, uh, and he would introduce the, the, the topic of the sermon. And so this was always a little uncomfortable for me whenever we did this because I didn't know anybody there and I was painfully self-conscious and thankfully I've totally grown out of that completely. Um, but uh, so th th on this particular Sunday, the pastor introduces the topic and it's lying. And so here's the question that he began with. So um, what are some lies that, that you've told before? Which is a pretty brutal way to, to start everything off. And so what I do though is raise my hand unprompted and say, I've never told a lie. And so the pastor responds, this is amazing. He said, I think you just told one. And uh, so two immediate responses. One is I am furious with this pastor for exposing me, right? 
but, but secondly, um, I was horrified because my parents and all of these people in this congregation now know that I have actually lied before. And I've been talking with my counselor about that ever since. So we're making a lot of progress. Um, so, okay, why, why mention this? Well, I, I mention this because this is a picture uh, of what can happen when we try to pursue holiness or what we think is holiness for, for some other mixed motive. In this case, the, the, the motive of keeping up some kind of image. I was horrified that, that my image of being this obedient child was gonna get wrecked by this pastor who just blew my no lying cover, right? And, and I think that, that's just one of the, the, the kinds of difficulties that we start bump up, bumping up against when you start talking about pursuing holiness. And it's this, this challenge of the, the, the mixed and the misplaced motives that we have so often in pursuing it. So sometimes it is because we're trying to keep up some sort of image. We wanna impress people, we want people to think well of us. Sometimes uh, our obedience or our pursuit of holiness can be because it feels like we have some semblance of control over our lives when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so we pursue it for that reason because it makes us feel secure. Sometimes though, I think we do this because on some level, we believe that, that, that our obedience is actually what's gonna finally make God happy with us. And I know that that sounds sort of crass. You think like, I don't really think that. But there is this sort of uh, dressed up theological version of it and it goes something like this. Well, I, I know that, that my salvation comes by grace alone. That it is completely because of Jesus' work on my behalf that I'm accepted into God's favor. But here's the thing. What we subtly start thinking is that in order to, to keep and maintain our status of staying in God's favor, I've gotta get my act together. And so what can happen is that when you start talking about, about holiness, it starts to feel exhausting. And it, it starts to feel like something that, that the way one pastor puts it, it, it feels almost icky. Like, okay, I guess we have to talk about it. So here's the thing. I think all of that comes from this misunderstanding of what holiness actually is. And if we misunderstand what holiness is, then we run into all kinds of problems about what our motives are in pursuing it. And so part of what I wanna do this afternoon is to reframe holiness. Because what, what, what holiness is in the Bible is something that, that, that is deeply relational. It means literally you've been set apart, but it's not just you've been set apart for, for uh, something abstract. You've been set apart specifically by God for a loving relationship with him. And this section in 1 Peter says exactly that. This is exactly the way he talks about holiness here. And so this is our second week in 1 in, uh, in uh, Peter. So I want you to, just to remind you of the situation of Peter's audience. They were most likely converted. They became Christians in Rome. And then they were scattered to all these different places within the Roman Empire. And so what Peter does in this passage is he calls them to live in a distinct way while they're in exile. And he recognizes here that they are living among a people who don't share their faith in Jesus. These are people who don't believe the same things they do. And not just that, they're actually facing persecution and trials and suffering because of it. And so what Peter recognizes here is that the pull on them and the pull on us that every one of us feels 
is to adopt a way of life that fits more comfortably in this world than anywhere else. To, to adopt a way of life that works well right here, right now, rather than a way of life that's marked by following Jesus. So here's what's interesting, though, about the way that he goes about calling us to holiness. He doesn't just say, pursue holiness, period. What he does instead here is he says to pursue holiness as sons of the Father who have been rescued by the grace of Jesus. And it's that last phrase that, that really does make all the difference. So we're, we're, uh, as we make our way through this book, I want to ask and answer this question each week. How do we live faithfully in the world? So this week, uh, we'll answer it this way. We live faithfully in the world by pursuing holiness by the grace shown to us by God the Father. By the grace shown to us by God the Father. Okay, so how do we do that? Three ways. Here's the first. First, pursue holiness by setting your hope on the grace of Jesus. By setting your hope on the grace of Jesus. And that starts with Peter here in the first word of verse 13. So he says, therefore. And I've mentioned this before. It's super cheesy, and I want you to remember it. One of my seminary professors would always say, anytime you find a therefore in Scripture, you should ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Got it? And so in this case, what Peter's doing is he's connecting everything that he's just said in verses 3 through 12 with what he's about to say. So what has he just said? What did we look at last week? Well, he's just said that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That you now have this inheritance that is undefiled, that's imperishable, that's unfading, and that God right now by his grace is protecting you. And he's protecting the salvation that is yours. And every single bit of that is a gift. All of that comes from his grace to you. And so what Peter is saying is that all of that is true. And because that's true, now I'm gonna call you to live into the reality of that new birth that is yours by grace. And so another way to say this, uh, and this is a, sort of a quick throwback to middle school English, stay with me, is to say that the indicative always precedes the imperative. Okay, well, I could ask some middle schoolers here to help us out with this. But an indicative statement is just a statement about the, a state of affairs. It could be a statement of fact about something, a declarative statement. An imperative statement, though, is a command. And so in this case, in the Bible, the indicative of the gospel, which is to say what Jesus has done for you, always comes before the imperative, what Jesus calls you to do. And the reason that this is so important is that if you switch that order, if you put the imperative before the indicative, if what you do earns your status or puts you in a certain state of favor with God, then we are literally no longer talking about Christianity. This is one of the points where, where, where Christianity differs from all other world religions because all other religions in some form or some fashion say that you've got to get yourself together and get yourself cleaned up, then you can come to God. This is where Christianity is fundamentally different because what, what the Bible says is that you can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself presentable to God. You cannot do that enough in order to come into his presence. Your sin is too great. And so what has to happen instead is that God must come to you. And that is exactly what he's done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
So that now, by grace alone, by the work of Jesus on your behalf, you can enter into God's presence and not just enter into his presence, you enter into his favor. So here's why I'm emphasizing this so much. I think some of you, again, when I said the word holiness, sort of like shriveled and died a little bit on the inside. And the reason for that is because you hear the word holiness or obedience and you are so beaten down and exhausted by it. You have tried and tried and tried and you continue to fail. And so the way that, 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 that your, your thinking goes, it's not that you'd say, well, the reason I'm feeling so discouraged right now is because I'm trying to earn God's favor. You would never say that. You probably wouldn't even think it consciously. Here's what, though, is often running just beneath the surface of that kind of exhaustion. It's this thought. Man, I am so sick of trying and failing. I'm sick of me right now. And so it's not hard at all for me to think that God has got to be sick of me as well. And if that's the way you start thinking about God, then the the pursuit of holiness is not something that's gonna be beautiful or at all attractive or desirable to you. And if that's the way you view God, I want you to hear this. You need to know that that is not God's posture towards you. You are fully accepted and fully loved in Jesus right now if you put your faith in Christ. And the call of the Bible then is to live in light of that grace. And so, so here's the point. God says, or God's call to holiness never comes to you outside of the gracious relationship that you already have with him through Jesus. Okay? That's almost exactly then what Peter says in the rest of verse 13. He goes on to say, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is a call here to do something. It's a call to action. You're called here to set your hope on this grace. How do we do that? He he says we do it in a couple of ways. And the first is by preparing your mind for action. And so the literal translation here, if you have your Bible open, this is footnoted, is girding up the loins of your mind. I don't know really what that means, right? Um, But but here's the image. We do know what that means. Uh, men in the Middle East would wear these, these long outer garments. And of course, some still do that in the Middle East. And, and so the way it would work is that those long outer garments would limit your movement in pretty substantial ways. So if you needed to be ready for action or to move quickly or to run at some point, you'd have to hike up part of it and tuck it into your belt so that you could move more freely. So this is a way to say, get ready for action. That's the first thing we do. Secondly, he says, by being sober-minded. And so this is a way to say, be self-controlled. Be clear-headed about what it is that you've got to do. And so, so what's he saying? He's saying, the way that you set your hope fully on this grace to come is to think rightly about the future grace that will be yours when Jesus comes, when he returns. So what is that future grace? Well, if you are a Christian united to Jesus, an aspect of that future grace is that God will one day make you whole and holy. And so Paul says in Philippians 1 that that God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the day when he returns. John, the Apostle John says this in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That is your future hope. And so here's what I want you to do. I I want you to think about what that means 
for some of those deep-rooted sins in your life. Think about something like your addiction to pornography or the, the, the seething anger that is constantly running below the surface for you or, or, or what feels like this sort of insatiable desire to be liked by other people. And the reality is when, when you look at some of those deep-rooted sins in your life, what comes more naturally is having no hope that they would ever change. But he, here's what, uh, what Peter is saying. The promise of the future grace of the gospel is that there is a day coming when you will be completely free of those things. When you'll be free, not just of the the power of sin over you, but of the very presence of it. That's what Jesus is going to do when he returns. And so what Peter is saying is set your hope on that right now. Live knowing that that is true of you, that God has begun this good work in you already and that it began with this new birth into a living hope. And so when you set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus comes, that actually will begin to change you. You'll begin to live both as who you are by God's grace right now, but you'll also begin to live as who you will become by God's grace. So this is the first way we pursue holiness. It's by the grace of Jesus. Here's the second. Pursue holiness as a child of God. As a child of God. So look back to verse 14. Peter says, as obedient children. And then later on in verse 17, skip down there, he says, and if you call on him as father. Okay, so here's what he's doing. Peter's pointing out that you are now, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are now sons of God. God has become your father. You've been adopted into his family, and this happened through this new birth that he's mentioned in verse three. So you've been born again, and so because of that, because that's true, you now have a new identity. You are a son of the father. Okay, so what does that have to do with this pursuit of holiness? Well, in this way, the nature uh, uh, of a relationship with a person actually determines the way you interact with that person. So let me illustrate it uh, this way. Um, I've shared the story before, but uh, one of the most awkward moments that I had as a campus minister at Purdue uh, happened one time where I was uh, was working in the student center. I was actually working on a sermon, had my computer up, and it was in this room that had multiple tables with booths. And so in front of me was this couple, this guy and this girl, sitting on the same side of the booth, and there was a whole lot of snuggling, there was a whole lot of cuddling, and there was a whole lot of, uh, of hugging. And so I kind of noticed this, whatever, I'm back working. Uh, and then uh, at some point later, I feel this hand on my side, like on my arm, and this arm around me. And I thought at first somebody was just messing with me, um, but then it was too gentle and a little too affectionate. And I look to my left, and it's the girl who had been sitting here, and she had sat down in the wrong bench, thinking that I was her boyfriend. And so I look to my left, and she's looking at my sermon on my computer screen, and then she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Now, uh, that was inappropriate interaction based on the non-existent context of our relationship, right? But... It's that relationship, though, that, it, that, that in all of our relationships, it determines the way you interact with somebody. And so, your relationship with God is not a relationship between a slave and an angry master. 
It's not the relationship uh, between an employee and an unreasonable, oppressive boss who just wants you to get the job done. The relationship that you have with God now is as a son to a father. And when you believe that that is true, that will radically change the way that you pursue holiness. So let me give just one example of this. Take prayer, for example. So how much might it change your prayer life to know that you are, when you come to God in prayer, you are approaching your heavenly Father. You're approaching a God who hears you, a Father who loves you, who forgives you, a God who loves to hear from you, a God who is for you in every way, always. That could actually really change your prayer life. See, that, that, that's who he is. He is your Father, and this is who you are his child. And so why, th- th- this is actually why Peter goes on to say in verse 14, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so remember the, the, the context here. They're living in this, in, they're, this hostile environment, a place where they're, they're among people who don't believe the same things they do. And so the temptation that they're all facing is to go back to their old ways of life because in a lot of ways that would be a whole lot easier. What Peter says here is don't do it. Why not? Because that's not who you are anymore. You, are, you no longer belong to these, these former ways of life. You are now a child of God. And so the command then that Peter gives is to become like your father. That's really what he says in verse 15. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So that's that quote from Leviticus 11 and and 19. Another way to say this, though, is to pursue the family resemblance. And so I I, I think that could be helpful, and I think that's important. Because uh, most of the time, I think when we hear the word holiness, it sounds sort of like a stuffy word. And even when you know that it means set apart, it can sound a little bit distant. It can sound a little impersonal. um, It it can sound undesirable, uh, I think, in a lot of ways. Here's the deal, though. That's not biblical holiness. Biblical holiness, as I mentioned earlier, is being set apart for this unique and loving relationship with God. And it's in the context of that relationship that he's gonna make you more like himself. And so in the Old Testament, this is specifically in Exodus 19, although it happens in multiple places, God calls Israel a holy nation. Peter picks up that very same language in chapter two and says, you are a people that, that, that are a holy nation. You've been chosen by God. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And you, as his people, are gonna become like him. What does that look like? The best picture of holiness that puts on display what the beauty of holiness really is, the richness, the fullness, the joy, and the goodness of a life characterized by holiness is put on display in Jesus himself. This one who is, the Bible says, the image of the invisible God. And so what marked Jesus' life? Well, it, it was a life that was marked by humility, by love, by joy, by mercy, by compassion. It was a life that, that, that was totally committed to doing his Father's will, and it wasn't a, a commitment that was begrudging at all. It was, a, it was a life that was committed to doing his Father's will because he knew and was most concerned with glorifying his Father, but he also knew this is what's best 
for me. This is the goodness of obedience. It was a life that was characterized by this, this sacrificial service that, that, that was a service even unto death. It was an enjoyment with this, of this life with his father and a longing to see others enter into that same loving relationship with the father. That is holiness. And it's beautiful. And Peter says, that's what you're being called to. You are gonna be like your father. You're gonna take on this family resemblance. And so now I'm calling you to pursue that right now as a child to a father. So that's the second way that we pursue holiness. Here's the third and final way. Pursue holiness as one who has been set free. As one who's been set free. So if you skip down to uh, verse 17, there's this phrase in the middle there where, where Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. So that fear there is not this, like, this, this slavish fear of God. It's a reverent fear of God. It's a recognition of his holiness, of his purity, of his glory, and of his beauty. And Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear uh, during this time of exile. Why? Look at verse 18. He says, because you have been ransomed. And, and that word ransom is a really important word in the Bible. It's, it's used pretty often. Uh, it, it basically means to be bought out of slavery. And, and so it's the, the same language that's used of Israel being set free or being uh, purchased or ransomed from slavery in Egypt. But remember though, um, Peter's audience is not Jewish, so that might not have been the first thing they thought of. What they probably thought of when they heard that word ransom was the way that it was used in their world during that day. And it referred to, to the way in which you could buy, a, a slave could buy himself out of slavery. And so here's how this would work. Uh, that a slave could purchase his freedom by depositing money, typically silver or gold that Peter refers to here, into the temple of a god or a goddess. And then you were in the service of that God. Peter's taking that image and he's saying, yes, you've been ransomed, but it's not by silver or gold. You have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. This precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's saying, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have been forgiven, you have been set free, you have been bought back by Christ's death on the cross. And part of what that means is that you have been set free now. You've been set free from, from these empty, meaningless ways that used to enslave you, these former ways of life. And so here, here's part of what that means for us really practically. Your past, the things you've done, the worst of the things you've done, the mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed, the things that make you cringe, the family, even, that, that, that you grew up in that has been so formative to you in ways that you wish it wasn't, none of those things define you. You are no longer a slave to your past. Your past no longer defines you. Why not? Because you have been set free. You have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And so the call here is to live into that freedom. To live into that freedom that really is yours right now. Here's the thing about that though. That's actually really hard to do. Because the, the, the pull that we have to, to go back to those former ways, even those ways of captivity, even those ways of slavery, this is the power of addiction, right? 
We know it's not the right thing to do, but because it feels comfortable, because it feels familiar, we'll return to that sort of captivity. And this is actually something that happens with prisoners in real life who are released from prison. Uh, There's a story of a man named Albert Woodfox. He was this uh, Black Panther activist who was put in prison uh, initially, and then he was, uh, he, he was convicted then of fatally stabbing a prison guard. And he ended up being in prison for 43 years. He was in solitary confinement because of his danger, because of the danger he posed, they thought. He insisted he was innocent the whole time that he'd been framed. In February of 2016, his conviction was overturned. He was set free at that point. What was fascinating, sobering, and really sad is that he talked about how hard it was to live as a free person after that. And so he, he, he says he actually missed the security, the familiarity of his prison cell. And so he, he says this, this is a quote, he says, so there are moments when I wish I was back in the security of a cell. And he paused and he said, I mean, it's, it does that to you. See, that's the temptation that we feel, is to return to these old ways of life, these former ways of ignorance, even when we know they're harmful, they're dangerous, they're sinful, and yet there's something about them that still pulls us in that direction. So the question is, what do we do in that place? How do you fight that temptation? You fight that temptation by looking to the one who has set you free. The one who, according to verse 20 here, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has now been made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that now your faith and your hope are in God's. You have been ransomed by his precious blood. And he's done that so that your faith and your hope is not in yourself. It's not in your own willpower. It's not in your sort of moral performance. But your faith and your hope or in God. And that's where the power to change actually comes from. It's from outside of yourself, in Jesus himself. That's how, and that's why you can actually pursue real holiness, beautiful holiness. So John Calvin says it this way, holiness is not a merit by which we can attain communion with God, but a gift of Christ which enables us to cling to him and to follow him. See, that is your motive for holiness. It's Jesus himself, this one who has given himself for you, who's made, a, made you a child of God and has ransomed you. Give yourself to him. We pray for us. Father, we thank you uh, that you are God who loves us so deeply that you've not only forgiven us, you've not only dealt with the legal penalty of our sin, but you are now at work changing us, sanctifying us, making us whole. And Father, we are grateful that you will one day complete that good work that you've begun in us. And so Father, we pray that we would be a people who give ourselves to that work, that we would give ourselves to all the ways in which you transform us and make us more and more like your son. We pray this all in his name and for his glory. Amen.